Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. running motorsport magazine show midweek motorsport news features special guests and analysis from the experts formula one sports car and endurance racing rallying touring cars and bikes if it has wheels and an engine and they keep score it's on midweek motorsport Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsports just after 8 o'clock in the UK, just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, here where I am, so that means I can say over in London, or still I suppose up in London, is our executive producer Tim Gray. Good evening to you Tim. Good evening John, but you'd only be over uh, from London if you were in another capital, and I suspect you're south of the capital. Yeah. Well yes, true, um, we've moved uh, from Washington which is where we were uh, earlier on Washington uh, DC not Washington CD where I was at the weekend County Durham um, to well it's close to VIR actually and we're as soon as the programme is over we're heading off to a Porsche dealer a little bit further south again from this uh, where Jim Roller and I will be hosting a Porsche dealer evening looking forward to that Nick Tandy I believe is going to be there uh, as one of the drivers that were in the due and oh, sorry Earl Bamba and Earl Bamba okay Earl Bamba and Nick Tandy going to be down being told in my ear um, back from the UK uh, from the responsible adult so uh, all looking good here for a very busy weekend for us on IMSA Radio very busy indeed but on a packed programme tonight Tim we have what? we have all of the usual features really? but with some unusual guests Okay, how's that going to work then? We don't have Graham Goodwin for the second week in a row uh, because he is in his holiday mode. Holy, holy, holy. I've seen Now, you're wondering, I think, how Graham Goodwin can take a holiday uh, What and what happens to dailysportscar.com when Graham Goodwin does take a holiday. Well, I'm told he's been uh, entrusted uh, to Paul Trustwell, so uh, I'm sure... There have been all sorts of weird and wonderful stories making the front page this week. Uh, it's been very good, actually, in particular the Michael Cotton uh, interviews uh, that are on there. Three partners, very good indeed. Um, no statistical analysis yet, which I'm a bit disappointed uh, about. But yes, Graham is on the high seas with the floating shed uh, this week. Hopefully, back to us next week uh, to preview the next WEC round, which will of course the, the Nürburgring which we will be uh, heading to not uh, next weekend but the weekend after so there are lots, lots of stuff uh, to come as we get back into the swing of things after some of the uh, motor racing world have had a bit of a break Tim uh, also not with us tonight uh, and uh, no apologies from absence from him uh, Nick Damon well he's been changing his plans uh, more often than most people change their socks recently. Yeah. Uh, he was going to be here, then he wasn't. Then he was going to be around 
to help Johnny at Silverstone tomorrow, and then he wasn't. And, and now, is he going to Sweden or Denmark or both? I, honestly, he's somewhere in Europe. International man of mystery, Nick Damon. Uh, and for those of you who were listening last week, we did post the video of Lecherous Man in Car in the Hippies advert, which many of you guys and ladies have seen. Um, the guys hung their heads in shame, the ladies were scared. Uh, and it is on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective on Facebook as well, if you want to see it. Please Still haven't scared. seen it, but uh, I will take a look at some point. Uh, so that just leaves you and I to talk for two hours then, Tim. Not at all, because Marshall Pruitt, he of uh, Race.com, uh, will be with us later on. Okay. Uh, well, that's good. Uh, so he can talk about uh, the forthcoming IndyCar race. Uh, season finale, is it? This weekend? Must be close to it. Uh, certainly be... the title can be decided this weekend. Ah, I can't because it's double points on the last one. Well, in that case, even if it was the last one, the title could be decided. Yes. Uh, and uh, other American sports car news, it's the second to last race this weekend. Uh, there we go. So the title can't be decided this weekend, then. No, the title can still be decided this week. So obviously someone is far enough ahead. We'll ask Marshall Pruitt who that is. Uh, later in the show uh, but it means that for the rest of the news we're joined by our emergency replacement rest of the news correspondent uh, and uh, that's Shay Adam uh, good evening Shay good evening Tim glad you think so highly of me to be the emergency fill-in <laughs> which part of the world are you in this week I am finally home it's uh, been a long time and I've now spent four nights in my apartment since May. Not complaining, not complaining in the slightest, but it's nice to finally have some time at home. And of course, being slightly after three o'clock in the afternoon means that it's about to rain outside. Mm. Uh, next summer, if you have a similar schedule, can I use your apartment for the time that you're not using it? Sure, most of the time is June. So if you want to come over here and base out of Fort Lauderdale, feel free. Well, nice views. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen the views from your apartment. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, John, can you spare me in June so I can have a holiday in Florida? Hardly likely, in fairness. Uh, <laughs> June's looking already quite busy, Tim, to be honest. Yeah, thought it might be. Uh, maybe another time. Indeed. Any June. <laughs> and she will not be there anyway. Well, that's uh, the point. I'm house-sitting. Uh, okay, house-sitting. Okay, apartment-sitting. Very nice apartment. All right, moving on. Uh, so, uh, all the usual features. Uh, do we have time for any more apologies for absence, or are Nick and Graham our stars for this week? Uh, to be honest, uh, I haven't had a good look. There was one or two people putting them in early uh, on Monday and Tuesday. Um, a few people getting their cars ready for competition this weekend. One or two people getting ready to go to, for example, for its GT Snetterton. Uh, all, all reasonable excuses, but none of those happening on Wednesday night. Uh, and also, going back a couple of weeks, uh, one of our American listeners getting very confused when we were talking about somebody watching a baking show, because they heard it as bacon show, and thought anything to do with baking with bacon would be um, a valid excuse for missing anything. Which, in fairness, is, is true. But no, it was a king. I had some very disappointing uh, bacon-flavoured snacks uh, last night. I'll tell you about <laughs> those later. 
Mm. The only bacon flavored snack that's worth having is bacon. <laughs> yeah, soy bacon's not the same thing. It's not as good. Funny enough, even I were just talking at the weekend about the relative merits of turkey bacon. Um, it's not bacon, it's just turkey. But it's very useful in Muslim countries. Mm. But it's not bacon. No. If you want to eat something called bacon, just eat it. If you don't... Well, well even in fairness, Canadian bacon's not bacon. Well, still comes from a pig, it, though. Yeah, ham, but it's, it? it's not the same. It's ham. Yes, but American bacon isn't bacon. It's just the fatty bits on the edges that we put off before we keep it. <laughs> Self-destructing <laughs> bacon. We're making Jim anyway. Roller very hungry right now. We, we have we have digressed. Let's drag us back to the present. And uh, have you got some news for us, Uh We have. I'll play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. So shuffle the papers and tell us what the top story is tonight, then. Uh, we have some sad news to start with, unfortunately, uh, because uh, we have to bring you news of the death of Bharath Raj, uh, the president of the Federation of Motorsport Clubs of India, who died of a heart attack in Bangalore. Uh, at the weekend. He was 51. Uh, he'd been elected to the role last December, having previously been president of the Karnataka Motorsport Club. Uh, his pre- predecessor, Vicky Chandok, said he was shocked and saddened by the news, saying Raj was an ardent lover of motorsport who contributed a lot to the promotion of the sport in India. And Indian driver Narain Karthikeyan described his death as a huge setback for Indian motorsport. I wonder who he'd be replaced with. I, I mean, when I say replaced, I mean who will take on the job, can't replace an individual, uh, because everyone is an individual. But you know what I mean, who will step into the rather big shoes? It is true, actually, that he has been a massive, massively positive driving, pun intended, force for Indian motorsport. And I'm not sure there's anybody with as big a vision or as big a character uh, as to be able to take that rein on him and push it forward. Uh, we pass on our condolences, of course, for from Midweek Motorsport to uh, family and friends. Uh, OK, Tim, what's next? Uh, Formula One's back this weekend. Woohoo! It's now, like Nick's here, isn't it? It is just <laughs> like Nick's here, except uh, it's not. It's Shea Adam who joins us from Florida. Uh, good evening, Shea. Good evening, John. It seems like an age since we've been talking about Formula One, and for once, there haven't been too many silly stories uh, in even in the European press. Never mind, I suppose what's uh, been filtering through to you in the furthest reaches of the colonies, and indeed you have been in the furthest reaches of the colonies. Uh, it Formula One explodes back in our consciousness at a classic circuit of Spa. This weekend to kick off the second half of the season effectively and are we expecting any differences from the first half of the season really? Well yes and no. Um, You said no story so Lisa been out there I do have to say the one day that I found interwebs in the uh, far reaches of Canada land the first Formula One story I saw was in regards to Lewis Hamilton's hairstyle and whether or not he would maintain it once the season started up again. So just saying that was, I believe, on the BBC. So uh, there were some some silly stories going on. But the first half of the season really was the story of domination. And you have Hamilton with five wins. Nico has three. And uh, then there was Vettel in there with two. So 
it's going to be more of the same where we're going to see Mercedes continue to push toward their second consecutive world championship. But what really interests me is the, the Vettel factor because he's coming in at a point where things are starting to get really interesting. There are nine races to go. He's not out of this championship hunt yet. Sure, he's down, what, 42 points on Hamilton, I think it is. That's not the end of the world, though. That's a couple of DNFs. So it's going to be interesting to see how the momentum from the first half swings in because Spa last year remembers where all the controversy was, where the two Mercedes came together and had that touch, and it wound up with Ricardo getting a second win. So there is the potential for tempers to flare again after this long break and for more chaos to get thrown in. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm hoping we see some of that since the last race I got to see was in the paddock of Le Mans, the Canadian Grand Prix. So it would be nice to see something get mixed up a little bit beyond a Mercedes just running away with the win. And, and bizarrely, Tim, Toto Wolf of Mercedes-Benz this week saying Mercedes might come away with nothing still this season. He, he can't surely believe that. He's been in a number of press outlets saying that, but he, he, he can't. I mean, I know you've got to G the troops up a bit, but surely he can't believe that, can he? Well, yeah, obviously there's an element of him there making sure that the team doesn't become complacent, but Ferrari are very much in the ascendancy, uh, as we've seen uh, over the last couple of races their car is just as fast as the Mercedes uh, so it's just a case of uh, seeing if they qualify um, Renault um, are suggesting that Red Bull could be um, uh, using uh, an improvement to the Renault engine uh, to somersault them uh, into uh, a race winning position although uh, until we actually see what this uh, engine improvement does I'm going to treat that with a pinch of salt um, did you say somersault them into yes uh, not catapult them though. not catapult them no somersault <laughs> them uh, a la Mark Webber at uh, Valencia a couple of years ago okay, no, no, I'll, I'll hold you to that the Red Bull going the aerial route then to uh, to supremacy at Spa-Francorchamps ok I'll, I'll be expecting to, to see that. Uh, the other thing, of course, is uh, yep. the McLaren Honda, which uh, has uh, in recent races become a much faster car, if not a much more reliable car. Well, you say that, they got two to the end of its last outing, um, not necessarily both competitive by the time they, they got to the end. But in reality, Shea, surely nothing is going to stop the Hamilton Mercedes Benz steamroller from continuing through to the end of the season and, and unless something in the team, some dynamic in the team changes markedly, not even his teammates can do that now it's Lewis to use a, an expression that I hate but I'm going to use it it is Lewis Hamilton's to lose now he's just got to keep turning up and he will win the championship it is the biggest competition he has out there is himself he needs to keep his head in the game he needs to keep everything in line and he needs to make sure that there are no silly mistakes that can take him out of this because all it takes is one, two, three DNFs and then somebody's right back in it. That's necessarily something that comes from his own qualifying effort and we've seen that in the past when he doesn't qualify as well as he could have or should have and he's back in the pack and actually has to fight a bit more. That's when stuff happens. So. 
he needs to make sure that there is not a repeat of the last round where he's not out front. Um, and as long as he can do that, I mean, as I said, five wins so far out of ten races, that's pretty dominant, but that's not as good as it could be. Remember, there's 250 points available still. Anyone could win this title. Yeah, anyone could, Tim, but anyone isn't going to. It's going to be Lewis Hamilton, unless... And I think Eve makes a very, very good point. Eve, sorry, Shea makes a very, very good point. The responsible adult in training makes a very, very good point in that it's Hamilton's head now and what's inside it. He's got the best car. He's the better of the two drivers in the best package. Surely then what he's got to do is just keep doing what he's been doing. He's not going to get any problem from the team. The team aren't all of a sudden going to give him a worse car or give uh, Rosberg a better car. That's, that's not going to happen, not with that team. He has established himself as being there and, and getting the right sort of treatment. So unless the wheels literally fall off Mercedes-Benz in total in the next few rounds he's cruising to a victory I don't even think he needs to carry on winning that much so long as, as Rosberg clearly doesn't either he, he needs to finish ahead of Rosberg yes and I think if honestly I think if Ferrari and particular Vettel won a race maybe even a couple of races between now and the end of the season it would be clearly very good for the championship but I don't think it really still really puts any pressure on Hamilton and Mercedes-Benz because ultimately I still think they've got something in hand and they perhaps don't have as much in hand as they've had before but I still think they've got enough in hand and what will be more interesting to me now is to watch and again this is something that, that, that you and Shea have brought up already but I think this is interesting to see the strides or baby steps which will it be that have been made by McLaren Honda because that will I think the second half of the season will give us a much better clue as to where everybody is for the first part of next year um, With again we're expecting to see some changes next year but I still think McLaren Honda let's see if they're going in the, the right direction and if they are if the step change that Eric Boulier is promising and that Honda are promising, then then things could get interesting up the front. Championship implications, not at all. But I think for the morale down at McLaren Honda, absolutely massive share because they're already thinking about next year's car, clearly, but they've got to get some performance out of the car and engine package, don't they? Well, they do, and one of the biggest factors for next year that, that's still a massive mystery is who's going to be driving because we've seen Kevin Magnussen very vocal as in the past few weeks about he's not doing anything else. He's focusing completely toward a drive in 2016. He's been posting pictures of gym workouts and how, how dedicated he is towards McLaren doing all these events. And the question is, are they going to put him back in the seat? And if so, whose seat is it going to be? Is it going to be Jensen or is it going to be Fernando? And I think both of those drivers are really going to be pushing toward the end of this season to try and say that they deserve their spot because there are two young guns in the wings of Mercedes McLaren waiting, or Honda McLaren as it is now, waiting for their opportunity. And uh, Kevin's loyalty should very much be rewarded, in my opinion. Um, but he needs a good car underneath him. That's not something that he really had the last time he drove in F1. And it is all about these development 
uh, leaps and bounds that they can make. Getting two cars to a finish is huge at this stage, that they made it halfway through the year before they actually got that. Now they need to be scoring points consistently. And when they've got to that level, then they can start thinking about maybe who, what drivers do we need to try and go for a championship? Well, right now they've got two former world champions in their cars. You can't do much better than that. But in terms of looking to the future, that's something that's also in the back of their minds. You mentioned Magnussen's loyalty, but as test driver this year, uh, it was very much his intention to go to the States and uh, race an IndyCar, and that only didn't happen because he had to sub for Alonso, who'd uh, injured himself uh, in pre-season, by which time, uh, when Magnussen was available, all the seats had gone in IndyCar. So um, I'm not sure he's necessarily that loyal, um, and I think his loyalty will only stretch as far as how much chance he thinks he's got of uh, getting a race seat at McLaren. Um, and uh, if he thinks that there's no chance of getting a race seat at McLaren, uh, I think he'll be off somewhere else. Well, I was speaking to someone a little while ago now, um, just at the start of the Formula One break, who is very well connected with McLaren and indeed with Kevin Magnussen who told me quite categorically that Kevin's thinking is it's McLaren or nothing Uh, he doesn't believe there's any point in looking at any of the other teams Uh, he is absolutely focused on getting a race drive with McLaren next year Um, Jensen is on a single year contract although I believe Simon correct me if I'm wrong he has an option for or yes. McLaren hold an option for him and Fernando next year I, I thought Fernando was on a longer term contract their contracts are exactly the same hmm. really? yes so Fernando was only on a single year contract as well? with an option for next year on McLaren's side in both cases the option is on McLaren's side hmm. that's interesting I thought I thought um, Fernando had been signed for, uh, for, for two years not with an option at the end of the second um, okay, um, that's interesting. Um, it may well come down to uh, how those guys do in developing the car this year, how much better or worse the car is. And again, I think that's one thing that would be interesting. One thing we know for sure, of course, is Kevin Magnussen's and indeed everyone else who's looking for another drive, their options have been cut back, have been cut back to him because the additional teams were rejected. Uh, so it is only going to be um, Haas Formula One that will be hiring uh, ten names on their shortlist. Apparently, uh, yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute. What I'm saying is that Magnussen will go somewhere else, probably to IndyCar next year. If he can't get a drive, if he can't McLaren. get a drive at McLaren, he won't go for another Formula One team. No, no, I agree, and that's exactly yeah. what was said to me that it is McLaren or nothing for him in Formula One, and he's placing all his hopes in the McLaren basket so expect um, him to see uh, him in a mid to uh, back uh, IndyCar team next season do you, so do you think that one I think that one or other of of Fernando or Jensen will stay and then the second driver will be Stoffel van Dorn Stoffel van Dorn yeah uh, but actually I think both drivers will stay ok uh, uh, said we'd come back to Haas and uh, we've reported before that they'd uh, turned their 
long list into a short list. I think that was of 12. Now they say they've got it down to 10. And uh, they hope to have it down to one soon, apparently, which I think is probably pushing it a little bit too far, as they will have two cars, so they might need more. (laughs) Yes, I think they might need to increase that super short list by a whole 100% then. They're going to do the Formula E thing, where their one driver comes in halfway through and jumps in the other car. Changes car, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, that second car won't have qualified, uh, because it'll have... uh, Missed the uh, slot in the first session. Exactly. Uh, the, good to sign the, the, is uh, the Haas team principal, and uh, it seems to have been him this week that's uh, taken over from Gene Haas in uh, uh, making uh, statements that actually have very little content to the media. Yes, uh, they are rapidly becoming the USF1 of the new era, aren't they? Of the US. Um, <laughs> Esteban Gutierrez, uh, Nico Hulkenberg, Jean-Éric Verne, we already knew them. Uh, Alexander Rossi uh, appears to be on the shortlist. Mm. Um, and who else could it be? Well, there's been surprisingly little chatter about this in the US media, or perhaps not surprisingly. It's a Formula um, One team, they're not going to talk about it, are they? No, no. indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um, there are people out there that could be... I mean, Marco Andretti's name keeps coming up, but I think that's more in hope than anticipation. Um, there's one or two other young US um, single-seat or road racing drivers whose names uh, keep getting attached to it as well, Shay, aren't they? You know, the one that's been thrown around a lot lately uh, is Joseph Newgarden. And while I personally would love to see that happen, I don't think they're going to go for anyone who doesn't have F1 experience. You just, you can't do a new team and a driver new to a series such like that. It just wouldn't work. Um, so they're they're smart to think about somebody like Gutierrez, who would be really good for the team. And it It is that second slot that makes you wonder who are they going to go with. But then again... Does it really matter in their first year? Well, I think it matters. Well, if they're going to become a satellite team, um, as we anticipate, um, a satellite team of Ferrari, um, then we might see that having uh, Ferrari uh, exerting even more influence than, than, than we expect. I would expect to see... I think it would be good for Joseph Newgarten or somebody like him to be a test driver and get some Friday experience uh, in the car and around some of the circuits. The, the issue is that if you're developing a new car um, or at least running somebody else's year-old car, which is effectively what they're going to be doing in all but name, they, you don't want someone who has no experience of that formula, of that car and of the tracks because what, what feedback are they going to be able to give you? That's and I think that's a that's a key thing for them being able to move forward. Um, what if anything does anyone know about how well or badly they're financed? That's the other thing. Do they need to take someone with money? Do they need to take handouts from Ferrari in terms of whether it's a driver, whether it's a personnel, whether they're getting a deal on the end? They've said the before that they want a driver to bring money, right? But not necessarily both drivers, um, which obviously. Uh, that was the uh, way that Caterham started off with one driver bringing money and one driver bringing experience mm. um, another name that uh, saw well for them didn't it 
<laughs> didn't do that badly. Uh, another name that uh, uh, has been linked with the team uh, through the Ferrari connection is uh, Sauber's current test driver, uh, who is uh, Raffaele Marcello. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, Again, no, no current experience. Uh, well, he's had plenty of uh, standing at the back of the garage experience with Sauber and some uh, some simulator experience, I'd have thought, as well. Well, the standing at the back of the garage counts for at least five seconds a lap. Uh, exactly. If only I had a huge amount of money to uh, to dispose of um, and get nothing back from it whatsoever, I could be standing at the back of the garage with an expensive T-shirt and a set of headphones on. You get the batching shoes as well. Um, As I said, Tim, they're the only guys looking for personnel at the moment because the additional teams um, that were were put to Formula One haven't been accepted. And were never going to be for 2016 anyway. No, indeed. That was the... um, I didn't understand that story when I read it, if I was was honest. I, I wondered if I'd missed something. Uh, fallen into some parallel universe. That that was oh, obviously we talked about that story uh, when it uh, was advertised, uh, but uh, it was uh, only ever for 2017 or 2018. Uh, anyway, and it's not. And it's not. It's reared again. It's head this week, and it's not happening even for them, is it? So uh, I'm sure they'll uh, advertise for more people in the future and uh, see who else. Uh, pops their head above the parapet. Uh, do you remember when we uh, thought about applying uh, to be a new team? Yes, yes we did. It wasn't a silly amount of money in those days, was it? Well, the uh, entry fee, uh, sorry, the application fee was uh, something like €60,000, a non-refundable application fee, and that was just to get you into the first step of the admission process. Mm. Yeah, that seems worth it. We could have crowdfunded it, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Uh, if not a complete waste of money, obviously. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. We're going to move away from Formula 1 now. Okay. Uh, and talk about A1GP. Really? Yes. How long is it since A1GP actually existed? Though? Uh, six years. Ooh. Is it really? Something like that. Um, but the... C- Cars went on to have a separate life, didn't they? Both sets of cars have uh, gone on to have separate lives. We reported last month that the second set of cars, uh, the ones that really weren't Ferraris at all in any shape, way or form, (laughs) (laughs) um, had been sold to some people in South Africa who planned to run a winter series this uh, winter, uh, as soon as Kyle Army uh, has had its uh, resurfacing. Uh, And now the first set of cars, the Lola Zytek B0552s uh, that we saw in the first three years of A1GP and which then went on to become Acceleration 1 uh, championship cars in 2014 before that merged with AutoGP earlier this year, uh, shortly before AutoGP realised that even with the Acceleration 1 cars they weren't going to have more than seven cars on the grid uh, and decided just to give up uh, well, uh, they're back again, uh, and Acceleration 1 has become the Formula Acceleration 1 Middle East Trophy. So it's still A1 in some respects. Oh, yes. Uh, and these are still the original uh, Lola chassis with the... Zytec engines. 
the Gibson, wow. yeah, Gibson Sightech engines. And they were a good car. They were a difficult car to set up, but they were a good car, and they sounded fantastic. They look like they've got Bridgestone tyres on them as well, uh, although that might just be a very old photo. Uh, anyway, the uh, championship will run uh, a three-round series, uh, starting in January in Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. Um and then there'll be two other races uh, at... Are they TBA? Sorry? They're TBA right now? Or? No, 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 they've got four circuits uh, going for these three races, so Abu Dhabi will be followed by possibly Bahrain, Dubai or Qatar. Hmm. Please tell me it goes until, like, November so they can call it a year-long championship. No, it runs until February. Oh. <laughs> it's well, that's no fun. It's three <laughs> rounds. Uh, yeah. what, what do you expect? It's not going to run uh, much later, and it's also a winter series, so it's got to finish uh, before the summer series starts again. Uh, so what's interesting about that, Tim? Though, is quite honestly that that isn't the, the most ridiculous idea for that part of the world. It's, it's a, a perfect it's idea. I mean, you could uh, potentially have one of those races supporting the Dubai Twenty Four Hours if there was room on the schedule. Um, yeah. And there are other events that happen in that part of the world at that time of year, so uh, it can find somewhere to race, certainly. The, and, and what that part of the world needs, now that motorsport has got a small but important foothold, is it needs more people coming through and something to get people excited to build the national level of the sport. Now, I'm not for one moment suggesting that that level of downforce and slick uh, slicks and wings type racing car is at entry level but what it might do is get people looking at it and going oh, okay that looks a bit like Formula 1 because all of these single seat series at some level basically trade on that fact that they look a bit like Formula 1 um, I'm not sure that's why they design their cars in that way, I think that's more for the aerodynamics rather than yeah, the looking like Formula 1 but the but the, the the additional advantage is that to people who are on the periphery of it or don't know anything about the sport would be able to go, oh, that looks like Formula One, and they sound leery and they're pretty quick. And it may well be that adding those to some of the national meetings where you've got touring cars and some of the formula, other Formula Middle East um, more entry-level type racing... They have a um, mini-championship, don't they? You do. There's obviously, there's the Porsche... Uh, Porsche Cup, yep. Middle mm-hmm. East. Um, that is the sort of thing that could make the difference between people either wanting to go or not wanting to go. It could also be the headline event. Um, it's not as if they're short of people who have budget out there. There are people who have budget. It will also enable that type of person to get into a car with slicks and wings and get some downforce experience in a relatively controlled environment, which, frankly, I think is good for things like P2 um, in the wider world. I think it's a good move. It, it will come down. Is it being run by a championship? That I take it that they're just going to. It's run. Right it's being run by the Dutch. Oh, is it? Yes. Sure. Um, so they're planning to have a 50-minute free practice session, mm-hmm. uh, followed by two qualifying sessions, each of 20 minutes, and then three races, uh, each of which are 30 minutes plus a lap, and the third race will have a reversed grid. Ooh. Okay, that might work. Uh, and no pit stops. There, no, that keeps costs down, obviously, because you don't have to have so many people, and it also means the cars can be centrally run, 
which I presume is what they're going to do. They, there are plenty of those cars out there. The Gibson Zytec engine is phenomenally powerful, phenomenally reliable, and the uh, repeatability of performance between the engines, or the, the level of uh, balance of performance between the engines is within 1% of each other. That's the thing that Gibson that Zytec do very, very well indeed. And, you know, that means you're going to get a level playing field. So you will find somebody there who goes out and drives it. Now, what would be interesting is to see if it, if, if it attracts anybody who is on the cusp of a single-seat career anyway and goes out to drive, quote-unquote, for a team or a sponsor out there. Because that's what will be... The interesting thing to me is if it takes people out of Europe to go and do the three races or whatever it is, three races I think you said Tim, um, during the winter months when there's there's not much racing on in Europe or anywhere else for that matter. Interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, on the subject of single seaters, uh, Formula E has been uh, testing again this week at uh, Donington Park uh, on, on Monday. Uh, new lap record was set by Daniel Abt. Uh, Not a surprise, really, is it? Because they're changing the equipment this year. Well, they're changing the uh, equipment uh, in some respects, but the total amount of power that they um, have available uh, from the power cell is still uh, exactly the same. So uh, it's just uh, how they can use it more efficiently. So and they're not allowed. They're not allowed to change the Delara body kit on the on the Delara chassis either, are they? They've got to have uh, last there. week. Um, they were testing mainly race simulations and uh, had no improvements uh, at all uh, really in time whereas this week they've been uh, testing in qualifying trim uh, and hence uh, we've seen uh, that they found uh, ways to use the power more efficiently in qualifying trim and uh, set some faster times so uh, Daniel Abt set a new record on Monday and yesterday Lucas Degrassi uh, was fastest as well uh, we've seen a uh, couple of uh, driver signings uh, for Formula E as well for the new season, uh, including Simone de Silvestro. Swiss driver, once again described by a number of outlets this week as Italian. Swiss driver. Well, it's the same as uh, Raffaele uh, Marcello, who uh, obviously is not an Italian driver, despite having an Italian name and uh, being signed to Ferrari. Uh, he was born in Zurich. Uh, and uh, Jacques Villeneuve has uh, signed up as well. Oh. Which Jacques Villeneuve? The younger one. Well, I say younger, he's 40-something, isn't he? 44, 45? Uh, right, that Jacques Villeneuve. That Jacques Villeneuve. The 1997 Formula 1 world champion, Jacques Villeneuve. Who's he wow. signed to? Uh, now you're asking me. Uh, did he <laughs> sign for Andretti? That's going to be interesting. Why has he done that? I don't know, he's been doing uh, rallycross uh, recently, hasn't he? Without any major success. He's had a reasonable amount of success. Uh, he's signed for Venturi, not Andretti. Okay. Venturi, oh. then. Okay. Alongside um, uh, Stefan Sarazan, who uh, remains there from this season. Mm. Okay, let's move on, because really it's... Um, 
still a bit uh, Formula E is still a bit too uh, we have uh, WRC uh, coming back this weekend uh, where is that is that Germany uh, they are off to Germany this uh, weekend well so that must have stuck in the mind from somewhere <laughs> <laughs> did you preview it on Mobile One The Grid maybe uh, no, I don't oh. think so. But uh, uh, something has stuck that in my my um, shell light from somewhere. Well, the out. good news is that we'll be talking about it on next week's show when hopefully Nick Damon will be back to enjoy that. That's excellent, well done. Uh, and we'll move on to MotoGP, which uh, Nick uh, always likes talking about, but this week I suspect uh, will be rather sad that he isn't able to. Uh, but a uh, very exciting race in the Czech Republic. Uh, Brno, uh, 148,000 people. And my goodness, it looked exactly like 148,000 people uh, around it. Over Not bad for a, a race that didn't have a promoter and was nearly taken out of the calendar. Remarkable. Uh, the circuit has always been a favourite of the spectators because there's huge bank sites that you can get onto and sit there. The big swathes of uh, Valentino Rossi fans in yellow were evident from the overhead uh, shots from the helicopter. It's also a racetrack that produces very good racing. Uh, the rise and fall in the track. Bruno is a place I've never been to, but I've driven a lot on simulators. It's a track that I think is massively underrated uh, it has been uh, a little bit I, su- I suppose in its time it's been a Yamaha and a Honda track, I tend to think in more recent years it's been a, a Honda track but Yamaha have had their go at it uh, as well they certainly did this weekend well yeah. they absolutely did this weekend did you watch it Jim? I did, I watched it on behalf of my father who could not watch it so it was one of those things where I was calling him saying Lorenzo's going to win, Lorenzo's going to win and oh it was it was a phenomenal battle and what's more exciting is we've had what 11 races so far this year and now the championship is pretty much restarting from zero and it's between teammates it's oh it's so cool I love MotoGP Lorenzo leads the championship on virtue of count back tied with Valentino Rossi um, on 211 points, I think. I'm doing that from memory because I don't yes. have enough... No, you're still remembering that correctly. To, to look that up. Um, uh, the the Honda of uh, Marquez was there or thereabouts for uh, for most of the race. Uh, Valentino gambled a little bit, I think, on, on tyres. Or maybe he didn't, actually, because he did the too hard tyre thing in qualifying. It was very, very hot. Um, it probably didn't help that he had... Although he had a better qualifying, he had an awful start. An absolutely awful start. And the five or six laps at the beginning, he was caught up down in fifth or sixth position before he got up to third. I think sheer that cost him ultimately a, a crack at getting... He never really bridged that five-second gap, did he, when he got into third? No. It, it was the kind of thing where uh, we've been saying all year, he needs to work on his starts, he needs to work on his qualifying, and it really bit him in the race. But ultimately... He still wound up on the podium, so it's still not a bad weekend. And and the fact that now there's and he's taken points out of Rossi as well. Exactly. So it's um, it's oh, I just I think it's going to be so exciting the rest of this season. I can't wait for the next round. Marquez is only fifty two points back in third position. Yeah, uh, he's had three he wins won't this get season. That back. Seven races uh, to go. He's not going to get that back. No. 
as not Nick said two weeks ago. No, I, I don't think so. Bradley Smith, uh, Andrea Inoni is in the fourth position. Bradley Smith in fifth. Uh, Lorenzo and Rossi fight it out now towards the, the end of the season. Rossi continues, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I said it again when I was watching it on Sunday with Eve, um, on the podium again. He's been on the podium every single round this season. If he goes anywhere near podium all the way through the season, that is a remarkable achievement for a man of his age in that sport. Um, there was falls again at the weekend in practice and qualifying. Pretty much everybody at the sharp end of the field made a mistake at one stage or another. Uh, it is it is looking to be an absolute classic year. Five wins now to Lorenzo, three to Rossi, three to Marquez, um, and it's between the two Yamaha riders with clearly share no team orders whatsoever. They wouldn't dare. No, and it's not even the kind of thing that enters your mind when you watch them racing. They are respectful, they're smart, they know each other. They're not going to do anything to take out their teammate, but it isn't a Lorenzo's faster, let him by. There's no case like that. It's You go out, you run your race, and the next round is at Silverstone. So that will be exciting in itself, too, because you know... Whoever wins that race is going to come out ahead in the points championship for at least one round, and that's something that you can say, you know, over a beer with your teammate, although I doubt those guys go out and drink beer. They don't look like it. They look like they're 60 kilos, if that. Um, it's the kind of thing that you have bragging rights for a week, and it's just, it's it's such a great championship that there's so many passes every lap. You don't see that in any other form of motorsport. And the good news I, I is love- going. Sorry, yeah, Tim. Yeah, I loved. If you haven't seen it yet, go and search it out. I just love the battles that were going on, the way people were trying to outbreak each other. I agree with you uh, entirely. Uh, British GP coming up. Valentino's always liked it. Uh, he quite liked Silverstone. Uh, there's a couple of places where the new version of Silverstone or the, the, the latest version of Silverstone is not particularly kind of bikes uh, coming um, past the new pits into what for the cars and the WAC cars is the first corner turning in there is pretty horrible that might just favour the Yamaha over the Honda that tends to like it a little bit smoother a couple of other places that aren't quite as smooth but the Honda it's got long straights long long straights and I just wonder if that might favour the Honda uh, a a little bit well it's going to be another crack and battle there's no doubt about that. And as Shea rightly says, we have reset 211.8 as they go in the last seven rounds of the season. We'll come back to Silverstone in just a moment. Uh, having, World Superbikes, having, while we're talking about Having mentioned uh, uh, Silverstone. Uh, but uh, some uh, good news uh, for you, John. Uh, about Bruno, which is that it's guaranteed around for MotoGP until 2020. Uh, so you can uh, maybe go and watch it uh, in any of the next five years. Always assuming it doesn't clash with anything. Can we stay on bikes and do a quick note about World Superbikes? You do that, yes, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jonathan Ray has all but won the championship. Now, he could have, uh, Johnny could have tied it up at the weekend. The man had kept him. Uh, honest was Charles Davies who won one of the two races in Malaysia wasn't it the Ducati looking very good 
indeed. Tom Sykes had an absolute horror show, uh, particularly in the second race when he got knocked uh, almost to the ground by, who was it? Oh, it was the Roman Emperor, wasn't it, of course, uh, who nearly took him down. Uh, and However, it's still the top four. All Brits, Ray Davies, Sykes and Leon Haslam uh, in fourth position and then a big, big gap back to his uh, Aprilla teammate, Jordi Torres, uh, 259 to 186 but 452 to 308 Johnny Ray, it's been postponed but effectively he is the champion elect now he needs um, Chaz Davis needs to basically win everything and uh, everything that's left and Johnny Ray's got to basically score uh, nothing at all so that's how it stands at the moment you're listening to Midweek Motorsport it's Tim Gray, Shea Adam and me John Hindorff, Series 10 Episode, oh, did we say it was 32? I think we did, we did. 32. Uh-huh. Uh, so, going back to Silverstone, uh, or in fact, not so much going back to Silverstone, uh, but uh, the next round of uh, MotoGP, while it's uh, being held in Silverstone, what are you eating, Shay? Nothing. I heard a crunching noise coming in my left ear. So- sounded like crunching. Was- yes, rat- like a cereal bar of some sort. No, I haven't Living eaten it. Okay. Uh, Moving on. Obviously, uh, the next round of MotoGP is the one that uh, is hosted by the Circuit of Wales. Yes, that's right. Circuit of Wales, uh, which just happens to Wales has moved to Silverstone, Northamptonshire, and Buckinghamshire for uh, the foreseeable future. How is the Circuit of Wales getting on? Well, they're still waiting for the uh, review, uh, which will be. Uh, published in uh, October now uh, this is uh, the Welsh Government's review into uh, whether uh, it should go ahead um, so some things are on hold but the good news is that uh, they have established their Welsh credentials uh, right. uh, and renounced so far they've spent £3.5 million pounds, uh, with Wales based organisations Excellent. Doing what? Uh, well, uh, among them, uh, we have uh, 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 architects, lawyers, uh, planning specialists, uh, and a company based in Newport uh, that uh, provides consultancy and contracting services in ecology and landscape. Uh, and they've been responsible for the... Uh, Project's biodiversity plan. Mm, okay. Moving on. So, uh, Julian Gregory, uh, who represents the company, said we've worked closely with the Circuit of Wales and its partners to ensure rigorous and robust advice has been provided at all stages. We hope all this hard work will pay off soon and the project can get underway to the benefit of thousands of people. Yes. Moving on. Uh, I've actually found out whereabouts uh, it's going to be based. And uh, do you remember that day I went to Ebervale? Yes, to, to pick up a codec of some description. Uh, right? Yes. Well, actually... Close to the Rasso Industrial Estate. That's right, yes. The Rasso Industrial Estate was where I picked, uh, picked that codec up from. So I've probably been on some of the land that will become Circuit of Wales. 830 acres in um, uh, just north of Ebervale. In the what is described as the picturesque Blood Gwent 
uh, countryside will be transformed. Well, if it's picturesque, why don't you just leave it alone and build it something <laughs> like that? Scenery isn't so nice, is what I would say. Yes, I, I would argue that not all of it is picturesque. Um, it's not the only uh, new circuit that uh, could be coming along. Really? Yes. Uh, because uh, development application has been lodged for a brand new motorsport facility, uh, not in uh, South Wales, but in New South Wales. Uh, that would be of the Australian variety. It the would other be. side of the world. <laughs> uh, for both of us, or all three of us, yes. Uh, there's a consortium that wants to build a three and a half kilometre circuit, including a karting track, uh, near. Uh, Bushells Ridge, which is uh, near Newcastle in New South Wales, right? Uh, and the man in charge of that is uh, Brad Wilson, who this week uh, said it's taken us five years to get this far, so it's exciting to get the application lodged with the council. That's right, folks. It's taken them five years to put in their planning application. Yeah, you got to get it right, though. Mm. Uh, but he says. It'll be quite simple. It's literally a road and some sheds. <laughs> so Graham Goodwin's going to move there. Yes, exactly. Um, if it was that easy, surely it would... Everyone no, would no, do it. No. Um, we, we'll get Creelzy on again in the next couple of weeks. Because I would love to hear his thoughts on this, because this comes at a time where, in the last six to ten years, we've seen quite a few circuits actually closing... Uh, in the uh, what I was in New South Wales, uh, notably Oran Park, uh, which yep. used to be one of my favourites, and which Great is sense. now a housing estate. Yes, can never be restored to its former glory. Sadly, well, it the, could be if you uh, knock down the houses and evicted the people <laughs> yes. that live in them, <laughs> and then just uh, make a road and some sheds. Yeah, exactly. The uh, there's been uh, further development on the Australian story that we talked about. Uh, two or three weeks ago with Creelsey, um which involves uh, the Shannon's National Series uh, being acquired by CAMS. So the intrigue of a uh, soap opera uh, or a re- reality TV show as far as Australian motorsport is concerned uh, continues and uh, I'm not going to steal Creelsey's thunder we will speak to him in a week or two uh, about what's been uh, happening. We'll let the dust settle from that one a bit and uh, try and understand the implications of that and the uh, continuing news about the supercars acquiring the rights to Bathurst, etc. etc. Bathurst uh, twen- uh, 12 hours in terms of the V8 supercars promotional arm. There have also uh, been so a couple of... Uh, yep. Uh, uh, a thousand kilometres of Bathurst uh, uh, related stories uh, which I've seen posted on the uh, Facebook uh, side of the collective this week uh, one including an all-female team being a possibility so we'll uh, get Quelzy on uh, as you said in the next couple of weeks and uh, hopefully he can bring us up to date with that Yeah, that's the wild card There's, there's been a move in the last three or four years hasn't there to have a wild card entry uh, or two well this year uh, 
anyone who has uh, bought one of the new cars for the feeder series gets a wild card to Bathurst, apparently. So yes, I saw that. You could get quite a few wild cards this year. Um, in times past, there's been a number of sponsorship deals that have been done to get people there. And as you rightly say, there's talk of an all-female team. There is a lady driver in one of the feeder series, isn't there? Um, is it Karen Gracie? Um, her surname's definitely Gracie. Um, who is in that again? Apologies. Renee. I am. Sorry. Renee Gracie. Renee Gracie. Thank you. Yes. Well done, Cher. The voice uh, of someone who's been to Bathurst. There. In fact, all of us have been to Bathurst, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, a voice of someone there who's done some research. Um, the Renee Gracie is in. Hasn't done the big show, but uh, just the next one down in. Uh, be it and uh, people like Pitman Mann have been mentioned Simona Di Silvestro has been mentioned as I said on the collective this is not a gender thing that I that, that the point I'm about to make this is a driver thing if you haven't driven a full house V8 supercar they are not a car that you can most people can step into and become instantly familiar with if you haven't driven Bathurst year and this again not a gender thing it's not a track that you could jump onto no matter how good you are and feel instantly comfortable no, it's most certainly not. And it's something that even after going there three times now and driving several different beautiful uh, Nissan-based rental cars or uh, press cars around the mountain, I'm still not 100% comfortable with 30 clicks. So I don't <laughs> know how people can jump in a V8 car and feel comfortable having never been to the mountain before. I mean, that would be terrifying. And uh, ugh, not, not a thought that I want to go into. Ollie Gavin, yes. perfect example though. He came, he raced the mountain twice before he got into V8 supercar and he somehow wound up on the podium in third. He, I, I don't think he even knew how that happened. But he's somebody who I would put in that wild card spot. I wouldn't put somebody in who's never been to the mountain before. That would be scary. There was uh, one of the wild card entries came, what was well up the field, uh, the year that Martin and I did the commentary on it on RadioLamont.com, and I can't for the, rem- the life of me remember who it was. One of the things I'd say about the mountain, which is, is, I suppose, true about most circuits, but it's particularly true uh, about, the, uh, about Bathurst, is that it actually isn't a hard circuit to learn. There's not a lot to learn. Uh, and driving around on your own, even just for a few laps, can lull you into a false sense of security. Because, and I did it in a V8 um, last year, I got my cam speed license there last year um, before we left. And actually driving around it, having, you know, just watched 12 hours of going around it, you know where the corners go, it's well known enough to do that. Uh, there's a couple of wrinkles, and by no means am I saying, by the way, that I got up to any kind of lap record speed. Of course, I didn't. There are a lot of straight bits, though, so it's just that when you do get a twisty bit, you're also likely to encounter a kangaroo. Or another yes. car tip. And that's the thing. Driving around on your own when there's nothing else there and you know there's nothing else coming the other way, it's easy to build up your confidence and think to yourself, all right, I've got this. Yeah, yeah, now how hard can this be? Yeah, it's a bit twisty at the top. I don't want it's a bit scary and the car gets a bit light and uh, we're just on the ragged edge what the heck it's like in a GT3 car when you're on the ragged edge with all that downforce and the kind of pace that they take through the corners, different kettle of poisson altogether. However, when you've got, you know, 25, 26, 30 other loonies around you all wanting the same piece of tarmac as you, because there's nowhere to go. 
in a third to a half of the track there's nowhere to go other than being on the track and that I think is what people underestimate not driving Bathurst racing Bathurst and for all the laps you do on the simulator for all the laps you do when you're driving around when it's non-competitive and you're doing qualifying or you're out there relatively speaking on your own there can be I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to race there um, in a V8 or indeed in multi-class racing and I suppose it's even worse in some respects because you've got people going so much slower than you and I think that's the thing that will catch people out the most where you can pass where you can allow yourself to be passed and not throw yourself into the wall and that only comes with experience and that's again not a gender thing talking about this all female team uh, potential uh, that is not a gender thing that's an experience and a driver thing so very sensible conversation by the way on the uh, collective about female drivers uh, that came up a couple of weeks ago uh, that about uh, some broadcasters and not us I have to say thankfully um, I think we're a little bit more educated than that uh, expressing some surprise at, at what for example uh, Christina Nielsen has been doing uh, lately very sensible and considered uh, comments once again on the Midweek Motors, uh, Motorsport Listeners Collective on, on Facebook and I highly recommend uh, that if you're not already a member. Uh, it's, uh, it is Midweek Motorsport, it's Series 10, Episode 32, Share Adam, Tim Gray and me, John Hindhoff. We'll get Marshall Pruitt in the second hour tonight. Midweek Motorsport. And if you've spent the first part of the show counting, you should be up to 3,600 by now. And that second hour starts uh, pretty much now, to be honest. Uh, keep the tweets and the Facebooks and etc. coming in. Uh, it's at, uh, at Specutainment, sorry, uh, and at Radio Le Mans. Uh, Shay's going to stay with us for a little while. We'll have a more chat with her because we still haven't got round to the real reason that she is with us tonight, and that's to give us a rundown on the first part of the season and the latest machinations in the Trans Am series. We'll also have more American news in the shape of the unmistakable shape and sound of Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt. More from Tim and I as well. That's all to come in the second hour of tonight's Midweek Motorsport here on RadioLeMond.com. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And there was me thinking the real reason we had Shay on the show was so that she could uh, play our brand new game show, The Price is Right. Uh, going back to Bathurst, clearly a challenging circuit, uh, but for one driver who we did a uh, long one with uh, when he went to Bathurst a couple of years ago, not the most challenging race circuit. Rob Huff. Rob Huff thinks that uh, the most challenging race circuit he's ever been to is Macau Uh. uh, where he's raced uh, many times and won seven in fact I think he's won seven out of the ten races he's done I understand why he says that Tim I do because it is in some ways it's a ridiculous circuit Uh, if somebody proposed that we raced there starting now with that place having no history, a bit like Monaco, people would just go, don't be silly. You know, this is a racetrack. Everybody had their hands up in the air, didn't they, last year about the, the Nürburgring launch life or having to have speed zones um, and no overtaking areas uh, down the, in various parts of the track. 
this is a track that has an overtaking area into a hairpin uh, because it's so tight that you actually physically can't get two cars uh, around it. Um, Doesn't stop people trying. It, it, it hasn't in the past stopped people trying. By the way, those speed limits um, are being lifted from the Nordschleifer um, and uh, there's going to be a bit of repaving and so for 16 when hopefully we'll be there doing the 24 hours again um, it will be back to previous regulations flat out and lap records will tumble I, I understand why he says Macau he's raced the Nordschleifer uh, he's raced uh, Bathurst as well he's been to Croft yes I understand I understand why he thinks it's the most challenging he, he can't relax for a moment not a moment at Macau particularly in the type of races that he's done there Tim in touring cars you just as likely get tipped off by Ivan Muller particularly if he's your teammate on one of the straight sections as you are with him diving underneath him into a corner isn't it uh, yes absolutely uh, well he's going back there to race uh, even though um, World, touring cars World Touring Cars isn't this year uh, because he's signed up uh, for the TCR International Series which will be the touring car race uh, at Macau which will, this year. which will be the support, presumably, then, to the World Cup of GT, or whatever it's going to be called. Well, of course, the headline is still the Macau Formula 3 Grand Prix. Is it? Uh, which, despite clashing with uh, a newly added uh, additional round of GP3, uh, will still be the big event. Mm. Uh, uh, and the good news is... Uh, at the moment that uh, there's no Ivan Muller to uh, knock him off so he'll have to uh, just concern himself with being uh, crashed into by uh, Hordy Genet or Jenny Morbidelli or Michael Nukyar or uh, people like that He'd have raced against Nukyar in the past wouldn't he? He'd have raced against all of them in the past I'd have thought Genet did World Touring Cars that did Morbidelli I don't think Morbidelli was in there when Huffy was Morbidelli may have stopped before yeah. uh, Huffy started because he went off and did Superstars didn't he and then I, I believe he won Superstars yes he, he beat Daley Thompson in the second place on the squat thrusts I think you'll find there's a 1980s uh, <laughs> cultural reference there if you have that on your bil- uh, bingo card ok uh, let's uh, move on Midweek Motorsport Series 10 Episode 32. Time to get shit to talk about what we've got her on for. Uh, yes, uh, because uh, back at the end of February uh, at Sebring uh, was the Fometics Trans Am 100, the first round of the Trans Am Championship, uh, which was followed six weeks later by a race at uh, Homestead Miami Speedway, uh, and then uh, in May a race at Road Atlanta. Uh, and then a race at uh, Lakeville, Connecticut, which is called the Next Dimension 100, which sounds really uh, scientific and futuristic, doesn't yeah, it? Uh, <laughs> and then over Le Mans weekend, they went to New Jersey Motorsport Park, uh, and about six weeks ago, it was the Ryan Company's Independence Day Classic uh, in uh, Minnesota, uh, on a track that I've never heard of. Brainerd. Uh, Brainerd. Yeah. No uh, one has, Tim. <laughs> uh, and uh, then last weekend, another Next Dimension race. Uh, this time, the Next Dimension 100 presented by First Energy in Lexington, Ohio. Uh, so that's the Trans Am season so far uh, in terms of calendar. 
but in terms of what's actually happened, uh, Shay is hopefully going to uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, the story so far. Well, the story pretty much breaks down into the Trans Am Championship as four classes, and for the first three races at least, it looked like we were going to have dominating performances. Um, in the TA class, it was a woman, Amy Ruman, who started to run away with the championship. Indeed, to this point, she's won five of seven races, and the only one that she's not been on the podium for was this last weekend, which was a story all in itself. But the other big name in that series that a lot of people would be familiar with, especially MC Radio fans, is Cameron Lawrence. He's won two races in GTD this year, being Daytona and Watkins Glen, and Cameron Lawrence won the TA2 championship the last two years. He started the year with three wins, and since then it's been a really uh, not good season for him, let's put it that way. But it really was this last weekend that started making everybody pay attention a little bit more to the Trans Am Championship. And the interesting part is that it hasn't been broadcast yet. Nobody really knows what happened unless you were there. And even being there, people still don't fully understand the depth of what was going on. Just to put some meat on the bones of what you've talked about, Trans Am goes back into the 1960s. Uh, and it's been was an absolute staple of American road racing. Uh, the pony cars that were around uh, in those days, uh, Ford Mustang, Chevy Camaro, Barracuda, uh, even the AMC Javelin, for those of you who know what that was. was uh, The golden era, really, late 60s into the early 70s. Uh, and then in the 80s, uh, big turbo cars, people like Dossie Schrader driving, Audi getting involved let's not forget, uh, Scott Pruitt uh, driving in the, in the, the Roush Fords uh, and then it sort of died a bit of a death uh, was, was rekindled by Greg Pickett, a multiple champion uh, with his Muscle Milk brand in 2009, 2010 something like that and then this new era that we're talking about now has effectively shared being um, in Position since with the tier, the tier two, uh, and the tier three and three L, I think it is, isn't it? Um, three uh, A and three I. Three yeah. A I. Sorry, yes. Um, that is that's been since about two thousand uh, and twelve, and these these cars have really caught the attention of uh, national class racers in the US because of the. Uh, ease in which they can get hold of them they're very reliable they're very cost effective to run a um, lot of spec parts on them, just enough to keep people interested in terms of being able to tune them, to set them up uh, there are one or two different versions of, of the bodywork that we well, don't need to go into now but there's, there's just enough to keep people interested but if you want to go and buy a relatively standard car, you can go and do it without having to find huge budgets and go and race and and the racing is very competitive oh it's it's brilliant stuff i mean uh, greg pickett actually came back and raced this last weekend he made his return in the jaguar that he last raced in 2009 that took him to a win and it's the sort of series that that car even though he hasn't raced it in six years effectively was still competitive enough to get him up to fourth position okay. now that's not saying it was the same car because you know it was muscle milk so it may have been the same body but they weren't the same parts <laughs> it was it was a brand new car 
Um, but TA pretty much 850 horses. It's a composite body and a V8 engine. That's simple. Um, for the TA2, it's Mustangs, Challengers, Camaros. There's no titanium, no carbon, and you're running just under 500 horsepower. And then the TA3 category, the, the saying is pretty much off the showroom floor and onto the track. And John, we actually had that situation this weekend. There was a Dodge Challenger running around that I swear was straight out of some Ohio dealership that somebody <laughs> just put stickers on the side of. It was brilliant stuff. And those ones are about 380 to 430 horsepower. So you see BMWs and Porsches and just guys just going out there to have fun but still running competitively. And uh, it, it always winds up with great racing. And you've got people like Ernie Francis Jr. who someday will be a championship winner in a bigger spectrum he's already he's 17 years old he's already won the ta3 championship before and now he's going to win it again uh, there are people out there who take this seriously as a platform to then make their careers rocket ship into the future cameron lawrence perfect example of that he won this championship twice and now he's a daytona 24 winner um but in terms of the racing the TA2 category is usually where you find all of the action. And my producer and I this weekend, because I, I do the CBS Sportsnet shows for these races, he summed it up as this weekend was full of action and drama. The TA2 race, they have their own separate race, was full of action. And the TA race, which also featured the TA3 cars, was full of drama. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was I've been talking to a couple of people about this recently, most recently at Road America, um, when Patrick Poloni was there, who follows the series quite extensively. He was our uh, ZFZF uh, uh, fan reporter, uh, and he's a, he's massively well clued up on Trans Am. So I've got a pretty decent briefing from him about uh, about the situation. I think it's first of all, I think it's amazing that in a relatively short time, four or five years that you've got to a situation where in three separate classes sometimes they have to have separate races because there's so many people entering uh, and it's growing literally week on week it's it's getting big names back into it you mentioned Greg Pickett Greg Pickett could be the person who has won titles in the same championship over the longest period of time uh, that would be remarkable if he comes back for a full season next year he's thinking about doing it um, and it is getting back to the very best of competition that we've seen in the past no real factory intervention at the moment, which is kind of good, I suppose, that, uh, that, that guys have been sort of going out and carving their own, or ploughing their own furrow. Uh, as Tim's pointed out, it, it's very much a, an East Coast phenomenon in terms of its calendar at the moment. Minnesota track that they went to at Brainerd, that's, that was by far the most westerly track that they, that they visit, but hmm, there you go. The, in terms of the keeping the costs down, of course, America's a big place, and if you trailer in your own car to places, if you keep it on one side of the country to the other, then uh, rather than both, then you know that sounds uh, interesting. The reason that it's come to everybody uh, or to more people's attention this week, Shea, is because of the drama that you spoke about early on uh, in the piece here. Uh, Conspiracy theories abound, but ultimately, at Mid-Ohio at the weekend, the only place, by the way, that I've ever seen somebody deliberately take another driver off and then not get penalised for it 
that was a Ferrari driver on then an Aston Martin driver uh, in the IMSA, one of the IMSA championships in the LMS many years ago and those of you with long memories will remember exactly what that was about um, yes Tim exactly right um, uh, the, they were penalised in the race both drivers were penalised in the race but nothing happened uh, we had a bit of argy-bargy on the track that <laughs> has left a, mm, a sour taste uh, and it involved the series championship leader did it not? Yeah, well, um, let me first off start by saying I really like Tommy Dreesey as a person. He is very sweet. He's kind. He's a former Trans Am champion. He knows how to drive. That being said, Tommy came to the track, um, as he always does with race cars, liveried up for uh, movies that he's promoting as, you know, day job. Uh, he ran the SpongeBob car at Daytona, which was brilliant. My nephews love that. Um, but this weekend was... Um, some movie that he was promoting. He also had it on the nationwide stock car that he was running the same weekend. And Tommy, when I did a pre-race interview with him, said that he's not there to interfere with the championship. He's there to run his own race. He was starting from pole, so the goal was to win. But if somebody nudged him off the track, he was going to get revenge. Um, the last two years at Mid-Ohio, Tommy has run the race. And the last two years at Mid-Ohio... There has been a coming together between he and current championship leader, Amy Roman. Uh, Amy, who is from Ohio, has never won at Mid-Ohio. She had her family there, her friends, and the goal was to get to the front and just run away, do what she's done all year. As I said, five of seven races she's won. Um, and the, the other one that she didn't win, she got taken off in the first corner. So Amy was starting third in the race. Um, where she had a 37-point gap back to the person who was in second, a man by the name of Paul Fix. Now, Paul runs out of the Ave Motorsports Group. This is important to just store in the back of your mind because that's the team that Tommy Dreesey was also driving for this weekend. Conspiracy theorists go crazy. Um, but in any case, the race was going well. Uh, Amy had, as usual, found her way up to the lead, when a caution came out, uh, the yellows, the safety car, um, for whatever reason, Tommy Dreesey, when he caught back up to the pack, just chose to not acknowledge the safety car and passed several cars under the yellow. His team was yelling at him on the radio because I was actually standing with his team. They got on the radio, no, 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 stop, 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 it's safety car. He immediately dropped back and gave back some of the places, not all of them. Um, they go back to green and he serves a drive-through penalty for passing cars under the yellow. Perfectly acceptable, what you would expect to happen. Then he came back out onto the track and didn't get back up to full speed, which was suspicious to begin with. There's no problem with the um, car. As far as we know, there's, there's no problem with the car. That's there's not why he nothing wrong with the car. He pitted because he was being given a penalty for passing... Uh, Incorrect yes. safety car procedure for passing under yellows, passing in the line, etc., etc. So he's come in to serve that. He goes back out, but doesn't get up to speed, and kind of looks like he's waiting for the leaders to come around. That's exactly what it was. Um, and at that point, you're not going to win the race because you're down a lap on the rest of the field. Trans Am races are 100 minutes or 100 miles. You're not going to get back that time. 
So he waits for the leaders to come back around, and that's when the contact happened between himself and the leader, Amy Roman. Uh, Amy's car gets mangled. Uh, whatever happened out on the track is what happened. Um, but Amy uh, stays out despite the fact that she has significant damage to her car. Tommy Dreesey pulls back from the pits. His day is done. The Corvette is wrecked. He gets out of the car, does an interview, and then goes to prepare for his nationwide race, which was coming up uh, about an hour and a half after. Amy does not pit the first time by. Her mother, who always stands on the pit wall, who's adorable, by the way, wears the same outfit week in and week out out of superstition, um, starts screaming. Uh, obviously, Amy cannot hear her over the radio, but she's going, you moron, you moron, you should have pitted. Amy had a tire that was going flat. She didn't pit, and it ripped apart the front left portion of her car so that when she did pit the next time by, the hood was taken completely off of the Corvette, and she went down several laps. She wound up finishing 12th, which was her worst season since her worst finish since last year. She still has a lead over second place of 22 points, which is not bad. But here's the rub: the guy who wound up going on to win the race was Paul Fix, yeah. the guy who was in second, and Tommy Dreesey for that weekend, his teammate. Um, so. Make of it what you will, but ultimately, when Amy got out of the car, she was saying, "This needs to change. These driving standards cannot be upheld. Tommy Dreesey should not be allowed back into the series, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Now, Tommy was ultimately disqualified from the race. No points awarded. It's not registering as if he did compete. As a matter of fact, it just says DQ next to his name. But he has one more race on the schedule for the year, at least in terms of right now, and that's the next round at Road America in two weeks' time. So whether or not he'll be allowed to even participate in that, we're still waiting to hear on. And the provisional points weren't released, uh, and then the unofficial points, as a matter of fact, weren't released until Monday. That's unusual from the series as well. So clearly the powers that be are considering whether or not he should race in the series again. Mm. The... the it's a very difficult thing to prove, and it's a massively uh, disrespectful thing to accuse somebody of. This is a big deal. Somebody deliberately taking someone else out for whatever reason, but particularly as it's been suggested that in this case it was to help someone else's championship who he was, was driving with. Um, it, was, it was Thomas Enger and, and Mika Salo, if I remember rightly, the two guys who had the battle at it's uh, a mid-Ohio in the LMS days, and that had rumbled on for a season. Um, and Salo finally lost his um, lost his temper about it uh, and uh, knocked Enger off in the very fast S's toward the end of the lap. And they were both sanctioned for it at the event, but they, nothing happened afterwards, which I still believe was a was a mistake. Uh, Enger was, I think, already on probation, so he may have gotten something. Um, out of it, but Salo didn't, which I always thought was a mistake. Uh, there, um, the, the problem is here. You know, it's difficult to prove. Although I presume it's all on television, and therefore it at least we get to see the build-up to it. Has Tommy at all said anything about it uh, in his interviews that you did with him afterwards? In terms of why he was slow out of the pits, why did he wait for the leader to come round? 
And what in the name of all God's green earth was he thinking about when he came into contact with the leader? Because there were blue flags and it wasn't as if he didn't know what was going on. Well, here's the interesting thing, John. In the interview that he did afterwards, um, he didn't say anything about the car being slow. He didn't say anything about that. What he said was, as I told you before, if somebody pushed me around, I was going to get revenge. And that's exactly what it looked like happened. Uh, and the fact that he acknowledged that, you know, as much as I hate to say it, there was a reason that he was in that race, um, and it was to, to help the sponsor. Um, and the goal is time, airtime. Mm -hmm. He got a pre-race interview. He got an, a lot of attention for this, um, this incident, even before the races aired, even before anyone's seen what happened, people are already talking about it. So it has done exactly what it potentially could have been meant to do, which is get people talking. And also... It's just unfortunate. Yeah, and also to uh, get involved in the championship, which, as you said, he said he wasn't going to do. Um, it's interesting because that's a very similar situation as, as, as to what happened in, in the LMS race because Sarlo said exactly the same thing. I'm sick and tired of being bumped by this guy, so I decided I had to do something. And I think if you admit that, then you know some sanction has got to follow. It didn't with Sarlo. Um, I have to say, Sarlo went down in my estimations massively at that time. I understand his frustration, but you can't let that happen. I thought that IMSA in that guise were poor in not doing something about it, in either endorsing the driver or banning him for a couple of races. Um, it would be interesting to see what... It's the SCCA, isn't it, who, who oversee Trans Am Shea? Yes, it is. But uh, I, I really like the race control, the, um, the director of competition. Everybody in that event is really smart and, and more so kind. Um, I was having a chat early in the week uh, regarding, actually kind of embarrassingly, regarding qualifying times because there was somebody who qualified so far off the pace that I went to race control and said, look, don't you guys have maybe 115% or, or something of that sort? And they looked at me and said, quite frankly, if somebody's going to make the effort to come out here, who are we to turn them away? You know, we'll we'll let them go out, we'll let them start, and if they're really off pace, maybe we'll give them a mechanical flag mm -hmm. so that they can come in and reassess things. But it's James Foyle who's the chief steward of that series, and he wants people to feel respected and feel happy. And there, he gives out these little cards if you misbehave during the race, and it's it's a come see me afterwards card. There were a lot of people talking to him this weekend, uh, whether they were the ones who had been wronged or indeed the uh, person who had done the misdeed. But James is very smart about this stuff. He also does the stewarding um, for the Lamborghini series, so you'll get to see him this weekend, John, at VIR. Um, but it's just the sort of thing that makes you sit back and wonder. A, a former series champion should know better. Is, is that the kind of thing that you sit down and talk with him about, or is that the kind of thing where you need to send a message and say, right, if you're going to act that way, then we just can't have you here? I think I think the latter. Um, obviously, it depends what sanction um, SCCA and Trans Am have, because it will be written down in in the rule book. Uh, the fact that he's not a full-season competitor makes life a little more difficult. Um, the, the issue for me in all of these things always 
is that you can't give the wronged person um, justice here um, if you if if we accept that this was a deliberate act and it sounds very much as though Tommy is admitting that is the case what we can't do is give Amy Ruman back her points because there's never uh, there's never a, me- a mechanism for that to happen in, in motor racing or in, in, in most sports you, you can't go back and fix it afterwards it has to be done at the time um, and, and that's very very difficult to do if the championship ends up being effectively influenced by this event then we're all the poorer we are all the poorer but I don't in this, go ahead in this case though John it would be vindication enough for Amy if he was not allowed to race again in this series you believe so from talking to him. yes yes I've never seen her more upset. I mean, she was angry to the verge of tears that she wanted to just go and, you know, hit a pillow. It was it was not uh, an attitude that I've seen from her in a lot of races that I've been around her. Um, and it was the kind of thing that she was actually going to competitors saying, I can't be the only one saying he shouldn't be allowed to race. You need to step up and say something too. Uh, that's it's a fair point, well made. Uh, a, a story that we will uh, continue to follow with Shay. She is in the pit. When does for those of you in the states, uh, when does this air in the states, and when are we likely to see it on the on the Trans Am website as well, Shay? Um, well, the ironic thing is that this race actually airs during the next round, which is in uh, two weeks' time. It's the Saturday. Um, it's at noon, I believe, uh, on the 29th of August, the TA2 race, which was also very, very, very much worth watching, uh, especially from the pits. No spoilers on that, but it wound up being a race where the guy who won was so excited for winning, he actually dropped an F-bomb um, in his winning interview, which was something new for me. That one is September 5th at 10 a.m., so... Uh, watch it online on uh, CBS Sportsnet, and then it'll be up on YouTube probably a few days after that. Okay, shit. Thank you for that. Now, before we let you go, we uh, you've stepped in to help out massively tonight. However, uh, your only recognition for that is to be put through the excruciating pain of Tim's new game show. Tim? No. Well, I don't know. Can I do this to Shay? Oh, yeah. I presume that you, you wanted to. I don't think you were going to do it to Marshall tonight. No, we'll uh, save Marshall for some other time. We might not have time, actually. Uh, I mean, if you... I'm just wondering, do we have time? Even though it's against the clock, I don't think we'll have time. I think we'll have to wait until we get Shay back another time. Shay, you are so lucky to get away with that. Uh, thank you for joining I, us. I just started sweating. <laughs> you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll stand you down for the moment. If we need you at the end of the show, we'll grab you back again. But Shay Adam, for the moment, thank you very much indeed for joining us tonight on Midweek Motorsport. Thank you, John. All the news from across the pond. If it happens over there, hear about it here. Midweek Motorsport. And welcome to Racer.com's Marshall Bruins here on Midweek Motorsport, Series 10, Episode 32. Marshall, how are you? Good, Heidi. How about you? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Pretty good. Uh, busy, of course, as we all are. Uh, first of all, before we get into anything else, and we've got quite a bit to get through with MP tonight, um, as IndyCar is, is 
back for its last two rounds, and I, I sort of want to go into that a bit. We go over the sports car news as well, of course. But first of all, the I think what most people will think is of as good news is that an old friend has been saved, and that old friend is Miller Motorsport Park, just outside Salt Lake City, because it was under threat, Marshall. Uh, completely under threat. With uh, Larry Miller's passing a few years ago, series, uh, series the uh, track county have done their best to stay afloat uh, with it being as remote as it is and uh, with its lack of big big name uh, road racing property showing up be it a NASCAR nationwide IndyCar IMSA um, they've understandably struggled uh, from a financial standpoint the income hasn't been what they've needed uh, and without uh, really the track founder and uh, the continual angel investor uh, around definitely something that was uh, in great jeopardy of going away. The county basically uh, had decided to shut it down, not renew uh, the uh, the company's lease to continue running it. So yeah, up until about 10 days ago when I first heard uh, it would be uh, staying alive, uh, I had definitely had it in the category of uh, a track that uh, unfortunately came and went far too soon. The issue, of course, Marshall, is that's all very well, but it needs to attract some of the big series that it had in the past. It used to have, for example, the Grand Am Finale. It's had international motorcycle races there. It had the American Le Mans series there. They've all come and gone, and that's effectively what put the place in jeopardy in the first place. What, if anything, is going to change? Well, I, I'll admit uh, there have been a little. There's been some stuff that come out. Uh, I don't believe for everything that I was uh, told a little while ago. I don't believe all that has come out. And frankly, I don't want to be the one to put that out there, knowing that uh, this is a fairly big deal for them. But uh, they have had some international interests uh, looking at assuming the the running costs of the facility. Uh, they've also had a change or will be having a change. Again, timing of all this is, uh, I think, a little bit up in the air right now. But uh, they will have a new CEO in place. Uh, effectively, the county has appointed Alan Wilson, the track designer, uh, to run the facility. So I think that uh, is definitely uh, quite good. Uh, the I think the most interesting part and this is where I do look forward to more details, not just you know general plans, but actual here's the, the hardcore plan, is I don't believe they intend on having motor racing serve as their primary form of income. Uh, and, and with the track being used as uh, you know a test facility and some of the other creative things they're looking at, having fans come through the gate and or car clubs rent the track to, uh, to run their uh, events and such, uh, I think they're looking at things in a more uh, interesting model. Uh, think of it as a way to use a purpose-built motor, race, motor racing facility uh, for something other than motor racing to generate uh, the bulk of its income. So, uh, interesting approach with the track close to being uh, gone, uh, and also definitely something for me at least. It'll be quite interesting to hear, knowing that it's uh, you know a 90-minute flight east uh, to go see what's yeah. happening. Uh, and the advantage that they do have in that model, by the way, they've got a fantastic kart circuit there uh, as well, but the, the track itself can run in a, a myriad of configurations and at least two different circuits at one time. So 
in terms of maximising the potential revenue of having people there, um, it's it is it was built for that. So reverting to that sort of business model is not the, the most ridiculous idea. I, I wish them very well with it because it's a place that I went to a couple or three times with the American Le Mans series. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The backdrop is stunning, absolutely stunning. It is very European in style, particularly the pit lane and the, the, the circuit itself. So in some ways it was odd for me in the early years or the, the middle years of the American Le Mans series to go to a European circuit that was in such a, an American location. But I, I, I like Alan. Um, he did a good job in designing it. And I think he's exactly the right sort of person to take it forward. He certainly got the, the place at, at, at his heart uh, as, as well as uh, having a bit of passion for it. Uh, Marshall Pruitt is on the line. Uh, from racer.com and after a couple of weekends uh, I mean, given the IndyCar schedule is so compressed and finishes so early, after me looking all over the place the weekend just passed to find out where they were racing and finding that they weren't, uh, that was a bit of a shock for me, we still do have two weekends of IndyCar racing to decide the 2015 title marshal um, and we haven't had racing for a, a couple of weekends so let's let's reset the championship two uh, events as we said much closer at the top of the standings than I think anybody thought and particularly with Graham Rahal and Honda still being in with a shout at this part of the, the championship almost unbelievable if you look at the first couple of three rounds uh, when we cast our minds back to the start of the year oh yeah good lord Heidi I mean if you ask Graham Rahal hey two rounds left nine points out of or ten points out of the championship lead how does that sound at the beginning of the season i mean he would have asked what kind of drugs you're on i mean they they were looking for a massive turnaround coming off of a, a couple of really horrendous seasons uh, graham's team honda powered uh were definitely expecting a much better season but i don't think anybody anybody uh was thinking oh yeah we'll be we'll be in for a shot with the uh with the championship, you bet. So that is, to me, the big surprise. Uh, he's sitting there at 456 points, uh, directly behind Team Penske's Juan Pablo Montoya, uh, the guy who's driven everything and won and everything. I mean, 39 years old. He'll uh, wrap up the championship uh, approximately 20 days before he turns 40. And good old JPM has led the championship from the outset, won the first round, Wanted Indy uh, has been, for the most part, uh, a, a top seven, top eight finishing machine. Uh, the reason the championship is as close as it is, just nine points with two rounds left, is uh, his past two races have not gone according to plan. He had his first uh, DNF at Iowa, uh, you know, the fourth round uh, left in the championship. That is, a, it's always a good thing when you're pursuing a championship, Andy, when you essentially finish everything and only have one DNF in the books. Uh, the uh, And that was a breakage. That wasn't a correct. mistake. Correct. Yeah, that was just suspension failure at the, the, the high loadings at Iowa. And at Mid-Ohio, uh, he was one of a few caught out by the, uh, let's call it, unexpected caution uh, Sage Karam triggered. Uh, he f finished 11th there. Uh, other than an 11th at, uh, I'm sorry, other than a 14th at Alabama at the fourth round of the season, every finish he'd had up till Iowa had been inside the top 10 
bunch of podiums, wins, fourths, you name it. So he's been on a championship-winning trajectory, and I guess I would distinguish that from some other drivers who've won a couple races. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, for example, has two wins and has looked good at many tracks, but has also been off elsewhere. Montoya's never really been off. Uh, so that is definitely, uh, provided things continue in the same vein for him, uh, if he can win Pocono, which he won last year, uh, so that would certainly help. And then when we get to, uh, then that's a 500-mile race this weekend. And then when we get to Sonoma the following weekend, just two weekends from now, I think it's crazy, uh, we have the season finale at my home track, one of my two home tracks, Sonoma, double points uh, on a road course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, double points on a road course, we know, I mean, granted, that's not new to uh, Formula One fans, I guess, but uh, at least in IndyCar, we've always associated double points with big 500-mile ovals, so uh, that will be crazy, crazy interesting to see, Heidi. One other uh, quick thing I'll mention is uh, with 54 points available at Pocono, 50 for the maximum points, I should say, 50 for the win, one for pole, one for leading a lap, and I think it, it's two for leading the most laps. Uh, there's plenty of shuffling that can take place uh, in the top five or six before we get to Sonoma. Uh, Will Power, defending IndyCar champion, he's sitting fifth, uh, what, roughly 60 points, uh, 59 points behind Montoya. Uh, if he were to win and Montoya were to have a, you know, a horrible day, he wouldn't necessarily be able to draw close, or you know, draw level, but at least would be in with a fight at Sonoma. Scott Dixon's in third, 431 points, uh, 24-ish behind uh, Montoya. He can certainly... He's certainly not out of it. He's certainly not out of it. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I had on on the things to ask you is who was still in with a shout. And and the the, the point is, with this double score at the last round, anybody has a slip-up at Pocono. Anybody has a slip-up at Pocono. It blew in that top three or four. It blows the championship wide open, and with those double point scores, over 100 points to be to be taken at Sonoma, it really puts the onus on. You know, somebody could well win the championship, limping home in eighth position at Sonoma to get to get the points needed to stay ahead of the championship. Yeah, and that's where. That's where, in terms of hopes and desires, knowing that the IndyCar Championship this year has been very closely fought. It hasn't necessarily been a great uh, duel between both engine brands, Chevy and Honda. Again, granted, Graham Rahal is second in the standings, which is fantastic, the lead Honda driver. Uh, Next closest Honda driver is Marco Andretti in seventh. No wins this year, uh, and he's at 378 points. Again, not too far from 100 points out of the lead. So, uh, again, I know mathematically, he can still win the race, but practically uh, you essentially have one Honda driver and five or six Chevy drivers who can come away with the, uh, the championship this year. And to your point, Heidi, uh, and we can get into this a little deeper if you want to take a little deeper dive. I have concerns about this weekend at Pocono, uh, which I've written about, and the aero specification that IndyCar has put in place, that is, they've implemented, which they've done on all the big tracks, Indianapolis, Texas, uh, Mm -hmm. Fontana, 
which we saw, which was a thriller, and now Pocono. Oh, yeah. And uh, so uh, what I don't want to see, like you, is limping into the finale with someone with a big lead that they just have to protect. You know, finish 12th and the title is yours. Well, that's fairly easy to achieve. Uh, what I want to see is something really close where a Ray Hall or a Dixon or Elio Castroneves and fourth or what, I, what we want to see is a bunch of people packed up front where everyone has to go race for it. Um, my concern uh, that could jeopardize Ray Hall's chances or at least make things a lot harder when we get to Sonoma, provided everyone finishes, is the aero spec for this weekend uh, is very similar to Fontana. Well, uh, on the surface, you'd say, well, wait, Fontana was great. The Hondas and Chevys, they were just, you know, all over each other. No manufacturer really had an advantage. Well, there were enough cautions. The the temperature's up enough to where the Hondas, which carry more, uh, I guess, native downforce in their super speedway aero kit, they were able to win the corners. Once they got onto the straights, uh, they would carry that advantage out of the corners initially, but once they got onto the straights, the Chevys would start to make up because they have superior straight-line speed, uh, less drag, and so on. Well, if you think of Fontana as uh, a track that's essentially a really big corner with one genuine straight, the back straight, you didn't see the Honda's uh, deficiencies exposed too much. That's why the uh, two brands were so equal. Get to Pocono this weekend, it's almost the opposite. There's one long corner, but for the most part, it is a big track with some long, 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 long straightaways. And uh, knowing the aero spec, uh, I don't expect the Hondas to be completely out of it, but everyone I've spoken with, engineers, drivers alike, uh, they do expect the Chevys to uh, sing on those straightaways. If that happens, Hindy, we could be leaving Pocono with Graham uh, in a in a bigger hole than he expects. Um, but it could also help some of the other drivers who need to get a little closer to Montoya, uh, Chevy power drivers, I should say, to uh, bridge that gap. So I'm just hoping we don't leave Pocono with Graham's uh, title bid, you know, really to, in a point of desperation or something where he has to just drive like uh, an insane person throughout Sonoma. The... For me, I think JPM's still favourite. I, I think you've got to give Dixie uh, because he's, you know, he's that mindset. He's Dixie. I think he's Dixie. He'll pull something out. Um, I'd like, like you, I'd like to see it go to the final round with it all to play for and basically have it be winner take all. Somehow, I don't think that'll happen, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. It'll be worth watching anyway. It's been a good season, let's be honest, and it'll culminate in a must-watch race, even if that is slightly manufactured uh, let's let's move on to a bit of sports car news we're at VIR this weekend with just the Grand Touring versions of the Tudor United Sports Car Championship we'll talk about that in a moment but news coming to us via dailysportscar.com earlier this week about the further news about the BMW M6 that we'll see as a GT LM and a, possibly a GT3 version uh, in what will be WISC next year WSCC uh, the WeatherTech Sports Car uh, Championship. Uh, 4.4 litre engine, twin turbo, 585 horsepower, 1300 kilos, uh, self supporting steel chassis, carbon fibre crash structure, etc. But most important for most people who want to race it, €379,000. Uh, That's about 270 grand UK, just on 400 grand little bit over that in the US presuming that that's what they fixed the price as we'll, we'll wait to see what BMW said they haven't released a dollar value f- 
for it yet. That puts it towards the lower end of GT3 cars, uh, and I would think make it a reasonable target for people wanting to go GT3 racing and GT Daytona in, in the WeatherTech Championship next year. First of all, I'm wondering if we just need to call it whiskey because whisk has you know has some appeal, but you know <laughs> I mean we've already got Patron, but I don't know the the whiskey Patron in North America. I don't know. I'm a little confused there. And uh, another point, I think <laughs> I have 100 euros left over from Le Mans this year, Heidi. So uh, I, I'm partway there to owning a, a brand new. BMW M6 I think this is fantastic Uh, with BMW specifically uh, what I love about it and just strictly looking at this from the IMSA slash American angle is BMW is a very popular brand among those who love it it Uh, and that may sound like a daft statement and maybe it is but I think every every mark has a car club of some sorts though BMW they have an incredibly uh, large and very dedicated uh, the BMW CCA in America car the BMW and their dealers Marshall yeah. their dealers in North America are very motorsport orientated let's not forget in 99 and 2000 2001 as well the dealers supported the prototype program which BMW back in Germany wanted to axe from the LMS um, and the BMW dealer support in North America. They're very proactive. Yeah, and what I love about this is, you know, the, we've you've been able to buy, you know, an E36 lightweight or an E46 this uh, over the years, and you see a lot of those in the club racing circles. But what we haven't really seen is BMW's version of what Porsche does for its customers and or, you know, wealthy fans, per se, who can go and buy their GT3 Cup car and go play. I love the fact that, granted, I don't know how many BMWs going to build uh, yet, and nor do I know how open they would be, but I love the idea that, uh, really, for the first time, we could see many, many BMWs in prepackaged, ready-to-go GT3 form at the perfect timing in America where, uh, along with what the SCCA has allowed for GT3 cars to run in their uh, club uh, environment for what the Prelude World Challenge Series has done to uh, you know, really revitalize their GT category and IMSA going full GT3 in their GT Daytona class next year. It's perfect timing, and I, again, just love the basic idea that if you're a BMW fan, you're a BMW racer, and you've wanted to do something pro, but you haven't been able to you know, call the factory and place your order uh, to do something that fits in North America, uh, now you can at the highest level. That is brilliant. Yes. Yeah, dial Munich one eight hundred race me now. Um, obviously, the GTLM car, the IMSA only homologation for the one presumes the Rahal Letterman Lanigan team. We're still waiting to hear about uh, details for that. Um, I'm I'm told that that might not need to go to Ladue for the FIA balancing test because that's never going to be a GTE car. That's a local homologation Correct. only. So that does give them a little bit more time before um, presuming as we say that RLL is that's what they're going to race but that's what we're led to believe and certainly Jens Markard has been hinting on that um, that that car then will only have to be IMSA performance balanced and that can happen any time up to and including the raw before I think uh, as I said Virginia this weekend VIR beautiful circuit another parkland circuit just the GTs uh, as far as uh, the Tusk Championships concerned uh, both championships very easily, evenly poised. 
poised. And we have had decent racing there in the past. The, the Oak Tree Grand Prix is, has become something of a staple in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the Oak Tree has been th- uh, has seen better days. But uh, yeah, the <laughs> look, the track is brilliant, has been brilliant. I don't expect that to ever change. Uh, I do love the fact that IMSA goes there and gives fans something. Uh, you know, it's another one of those tracks where it is historically important and significant, yet does not receive the full measure of all four IMSA classes, at least not right now. And, and when we look to the future, they're not uh, slated to get the full Tudor soon to become whiskey uh, experience but we do know that if you love sports car racing and especially if you love GTs it's the perfect mashup right uh, one of the, just a crazy crazy track some really high speed uh, we've seen some crash footage over the years Heidi where you just think wow oh. you know it definitely uh, and they walked away volume 4 you know there should be almost a VIR uh, DVD Absolutely. dedicated to that but yeah wonderful place walk around love it uh, it's, it's green uh, it's friendly it's maybe different than some other tracks uh, they go to where you can walk around but things are kind of brown and you know it's more dirt and dust than an uh, actual growing grass and something that feels flush and alive so it's, it's just a really cool track and as we have seen on many occasions Heidi if not all occasions uh, IMSA's GT racing is often the best part of uh, any Tudor Championship event so uh, there's nothing nothing to pick at here at all uh, Lamborghini Super Trofeo Porsche GT3 Cup uh, on the support package as well so just underlining what MP uh, was saying about the, the grand touring nature uh, of the weekend um, I was going to have a quick chat with you about the Monterey Historics this past weekend but because I wasn't there and you were <laughs> I feel that that would be um, unfair and needless mental torture uh, for me, uh, however, um, a, an event that is clearly magnificent. Uh, the we've got a couple of minutes left, literally a couple of minutes. Um, you were there at the weekend. Did you manage to get any more clarity on what's happening with the future of Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca as we know it now? Not exactly. Uh, there, I do know there was a meeting uh, between, or another meeting between ISC and uh, the county. My cousin, uh, Joey Chitwood from ISC, was there. Uh, ISC slash president of Daytona. Joey was there. Um, so we know that those talks are ongoing. Uh, also have heard from a few, you know, uh, let's just say on both sides of the potential promoter um, solution that uh, there's an interest in, if the opportunity is presented there's definitely an interest in collaborating in some way shape or form but this is maybe the this is maybe a good question to ask Kindy. so scramp i believe they have 300 members uh non-profit mm-hmm. all volunteers uh well I, let me rephrase that there are a couple folks that are obviously paid to do their jobs you know practice track president, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, for the most part, uh, everybody that's involved in Scramp that shows up to support the races, whether it's sports cars, motorcycles, otherwise, they're all volunteers. Uh, One of the questions that uh, was raised last weekend uh, after hearing that ISC would potentially be interested in uh, keeping Scramp involved and having them, uh, if they were, 
to accept the uh, the offer to become promoter. Uh, question is, well, what exactly, what part of Scramp would you like? Do you want the management? Do you want the people currently running things? Or would you just be more interested in getting hundreds of volunteers and free labor? Because that's maybe, an, well, I should say maybe, that's another big question, right? So you have a nonprofit that's been in place for, what is it, 57 years? And other than a limited number of people that draw a salary, everybody is volunteer. Well, if a for-profit company, a, a publicly traded company like ISC comes in and Scramp were to go away, uh, I don't know if you're going to be getting those people, uh, entrenched Scramp people, to volunteer for a for-profit company. So uh, big question there, Heidi, big, big question. That's a very, very good question and one that is yet, yet to be uh, answered. Uh, Marshall, brilliant stuff as ever. Uh, excitement uh, this weekend for IndyCar and uh, for sports car fans. And, of course, you can read all about it and what goes on in the background uh, with Marshall Pruitt on racer.com. Thanks very much, bud. Thanks, mate. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. And Cher Adam has been begging to get back in on the end of the show. So we have got... Are you there, Cher? Are you there? Yes, I am. Excellent. Uh, And here is the point. Was it a good week for pointless press releases? Uh, well, you'll notice that I managed to squeeze one of them into the news earlier. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, that was the one from uh, the uh, ecological company in uh, Newport, uh, Gwent. Yes, very well done. Yes. So, uh, what's, what's better than that then? As a newcomer to the World Rally Championship, little was expected from the 31-year-old Finnish driver Jana Eronen on the most recent championship round, the Nesta Oil Rally Finland. That was quite a while ago. It was, but this only dropped in at the weekend. So they've had some time to think about this newcomer's performance, yes. Eminent's own ambition was to be at least the fastest novice contestant, so the entire team was ecstatic when he and co-driver Vila Makler not only won the novice prize, but were fastest overall in the production class in their Mitsubishi Evo 4. Sorry, 9. Right. <laughs> yeah. Misreading my uh, Roman, Roman numerals. numerals. It's uh, IX. X. I can't. Ex- I can't Im- understand that Mitsubishi are onto the Evo Nine already. In oh, fact, they're probably. Tempted. This is an old car, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is an old car. Very <laughs> old. All's okay so far. Uh, well, yes. Uh, Eronen, who's been rallying since 2004, mainly in two-wheel drives for the first four years, is uh, a tyre dealer from Finland. Right. Starting to drift off a bit now. For his successful assault on Rally Finland, he employed Kumo K71 compound 205-65-15 R900 pattern rally tyres on the front and the same (laughs) compound 205-65-15 R800s on the rear. And there we have it. Drifting off into blatant shit, blatant mentioning of a sponsor without it being a sponsor. Commenting uh-huh. on the contribution of the Kumo tyres, Eronen said immediately after the event, a major key to our success was that despite damaging no <laughs> less than six wheels, should have been fewer, uh, we didn't suffer a single puncture in our Kumo tyres or even any deflation. Oh so, so the tyres worked, okay. 
So the tyres did exactly what the rally tyres were meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so basically, that's a press release from Kumo about uh, the man who is the distributor of Kumo tyres in Finland, winning a rally in Finland on Kumo tyres. Wow. You know that moment when NASCAR drivers start to do their interview and they start to just rattle off sponsors and you zone out? I think I did that on about the first line of that press release. Yeah, you, you just knew it was coming. Oh. <laughs> it was coming so well for a while. It was actually, it had a point to it. And I love the fact that they mentioned the tyre sizes. Yes. That, yeah. that, and the difference in sizes between front and rear. Absolutely. That was crucial <laughs> in that. Uh, and that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. Our executive producer uh, over and up in London uh, was Tim Gray. Shea Adam has been representing Nick Down Kim in Florida. And pretty much everyone else that wasn't around this week. I'm John Hindoff, and the responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. Uh, there's no time to explain. The Llama has a public appearance to go to. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.